welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Hello, this is Adam Carswell, the host of Dream Chasers, and you're tuned in to the How Do They Do It Real Estate Podcast. If you like this show, first of all, you have phenomenal taste. Second of all, if you want to listen to another next level show like this, just click our link in the description and smash that subscribe button. It would be an honor for us to enrich your mind, body, and soul as well. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today we have not just one, but two fabulous guests for you on today's episode, Mark Weissy and Gonzalo Trinoski. And they are principals in Maple Capital Partners, and they focus on multifamily real estate syndications. They have, they've worked on things both actively and passively as well. And so I'm super excited to have this conversation with the two of them. We were talking a little bit earlier, how it's such a small world. Gonzalo went to a university that I went to and their interesting backstory about how they met and became partners as well. So thank you so much for being on the show, Mark and Gonzalo. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. So would you guys mind sharing with our listeners a little bit about your backgrounds and how you guys got started, how the two of you met and formed a partnership? So maybe if Mark, if you'd like to start and then Gonzalo, you can start afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah. So on my side, uh, you know, normal upbringing, uh, middle class upbringing, um, definitely nobody in my family kind of came from the uh, real estate background or domain. And so I was always kind of taught to go to school, get great grades, work in a great job and, and kind of, you know, work until retirement, you know, 60s or 70s. And so I got my hands on the purple Bible, as I call it. We all kind of know this or mm-hmm. come across this, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. And that kind of opened my mind towards ownership and, and assets and all these different terms. And so that was around college. And so I started working, but always with the intent of eventually owning enough assets to be able to have those assets pay my living expenses. As I'm working, I was working in, and still am working in financial markets on Wall Street, uh, a trading fixed income, but always in the back of my mind, you know, what can I do to put the pieces in place to eventually fire my employer, <laughs> as it were. So I started off with stock investing and then, you know, learned about this real estate stuff and all the tax advantages and all the other benefits of real estate and bought some smaller stuff, uh, condos uh, here in the Northern New Jersey market and then single family and then met up with Gonzalo at that point. Yes. I kind of go, I'd like to kind of start a little bit further back on my end, because I think it puts a lot of stuff in perspective as to where I am today. So my family, we emigrated uh, from Argentina back in the late 80s to New York City. And that's kind of like where we settled. And, you know, since then, same same story as Mark. Uh, our parents were like, you need to go to school. You need to, you know, create something for yourself because they were working like three, four jobs. We were at home while they were at working, kind of just you know, meeting the ends meet really to, to put food on the table back in those days. And it was really tough uh, back then. It was a tough time to be living in New York City in the late 80s, uh, especially coming from another country, but basically a couple of hundred dollars in your bank account. So I really look up to them as far as like making that decision to really leave the country, which was in a uh, difficult situation at that current time to come to the United States to 
pursue opportunities for, for us, for, for their kids. So that fast forward to today, you know, I went to college, my degree in engineering. I got licensed as a professional licensed engineer. I practiced in multiple states. I became a partner of a civil engineering firm. So my background really stems in, in construction, in engineering, in large infrastructure projects in, in the New York City area. That's where most of my experience really comes from. From there, you know, I, I got a little bit tired of the corporate life. You know, it really it was very exciting in the beginning where we were first, uh, I partnered with a couple of people. We started a small company, a small engineering firm, and grew it to a pretty good size. I exited that firm last year to pursue real estate because really I got a little bit tired of the whole corporate uh, lifestyle. And, and just like Mark said, working till 60, really, in that company with employees. And just, uh, it's a wheel, really. So we pursued real estate together. We felt we had similar interests that really aligned financial independence. And we felt real estate was really that vehicle to get us uh, to where we wanted to go. So. So Gonzalo, I wanted to ask you really quick, your parents were immigrants from Argentina and you came when you were younger. And so it resonates well with me because my parents also came around the eighties as well to the U S and so they've built everything up from the ground up. So it's hard to see them, you know, it's, it's inspiring to see what they've been able to build um, from the ground up from starting, you know, not having any background in the English language and everything like that to see where they are today. So how has that shaped you and like your thoughts about money and how to invest and everything like that? Yeah, that's that's very interesting because, you know, I'm sure you had very similar experiences. Money was very tight, especially, you know, back then where basically you had very little of it, right? You just had to just do what we, what you had pretty much coming in from menial jobs that our parents had. Really, their goal was to make sure they provided for us. So then we had the opportunity to go to school because for them, really, it was a little too late for them. They were just working and just kind of helping us. So for us, it was really, it made it put everything in perspective as far as like the importance of, of money and what money can do for you. And that money is not just something that you just earn. It's really a vehicle for you to reach, to help other people really, because the more money that you do accumulate, you're, it gives you the opportunity to then help other people that are in similar situations that we were in, you know, back when we came. So it really put things in perspective when I see other families, especially immigrants who come to this country and are just getting started. I under totally understand where they're at right now. And, and I provide my full assistance if needed, you know, for that. So it puts me in that perspective. Oh, fabulous. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Then Mark, I also want to get your perspective as well, because you come from Wall Street. And so and what are those kind of conversations look like as you're talking to the people around you um, with your peers and the people around you? How does that translate? And, and how did you make that shift? And Yeah, great question. I think for a lot of people, Wall Street is a familiar, you know, people have 401ks and they, you know, put this money aside or their 401k plan has this money taken aside every week, every other week. And um, it's not necessarily something that they think about, oh, I should get into private equity. I should get into real estate. For a lot of people, that doesn't really make sense to them. And so as far as my background on Wall Street, to me, actually, real estate and Wall Street are not so dissimilar. At the end of the day, we're trying to earn a return. We're trying to invest uh, clients' money and you know achieve optimal outcomes, whether that means investing in bonds, investing in stocks, or investing in real estate. It's as Gonzalo said, it's a tool to be able to live your life that in alignment with your, your goals and your values. So I think there are different asset classes, there are different products, but they're really the same in that they're just allowing you to live the, a better life uh, or the life that you deserve. 
Have you noticed, I'm not really sure if that's the case or not, but if people are investing in Wall Street, are they more inclined to just stick with Wall Street or are they open to other asset classes like real estate? Or is the general consensus is let's do a combination and diversify between you know investing stocks and bonds, 401ks, and also a combination of something with real estate? I've heard a number of bigger name operators in the real estate space say, you know, what are you doing to the American public putting your money into Wall Street? It's just paper you're investing in. But Wall Street over time has earned a, a solid return, six to eight percent over you know the time that it's been around. So I don't think it's something to be completely shunned. I think for a lot of sophisticated investors, they have both. They have exposure to kind of a number of different asset classes. So I, th- I think it's definitely smart to diversify, in my opinion. But it all comes down to what you're comfortable with, right? Like Warren Buffett has a quote where he says, uh, "Risk comes from not knowing what you're doing." And I, I definitely think that applies in this realm where if you don't understand real estate or you don't understand what you're putting your money into, absolutely take your time to get educated. But for people who maybe have access to that knowledge, I think it makes all the sense in the world to at least put a good deal of your eggs in the real estate basket. Can you two share a little bit about a little bit more about how you came together as partners? How did you meet? Why did you decide that you wanted to embark on this journey together? and the steps that you took in order to solidify that relationship. Yeah. Um, do you want me to start? Because I'll you kind of try. Sure, yeah. start up. Basically, we we met in 2000, around 2018 or so. So going on four years ago, and we had met on Bigger Pockets. Um, so it sounds like almost like a, the modern dating world where you say <laughs> we met online, but we truly did meet online. And then uh, we, we went out and uh, you know met in person. We saw that we both had a you know similar enough background. We had gone to the same school, oddly enough. And um, him coming from the immigrant background and my story also, I, my, one of my parents is also an immigrant. So there was just a ton of uh, shared values there. And in terms of where we wanted to go, our goals were definitely aligned. Also skill sets. I know a lot of people come on and, and talk about how important it is to find other partners that have varied skill sets from you. So if you have a weakness somewhere, find somebody to fill that weakness. And we definitely had that. So how we formed our partnership was small, uh, slow, very slowly, almost like getting married to someone, you definitely want to take your time. It's really easy to get into partnership, but it's really tough to, you know, if you don't see eye to eye, it's really tough to really pull yourself out of that. So we started off small doing uh, duplexes, small multifamily around the Northern New Jersey market. And we had seen that, you know, again, we, we worked really well with one another, both willing to put in the effort and decided, okay, we, we've kind of proven that it's a good partnership. How do we scale faster? Because that was all good. We were building wealth and things like that, but it just wasn't happening fast enough in the smaller multifamily. And we were still wearing a lot of hats. In that world, you have to do a lot in order to make money in terms of sometimes you have to play the role of a property manager or you know landlord. A lot of stuff that we didn't necessarily feel like was our gift to the world or our superpower. And so multifamily was that outlet excuse me, for us to be able to professional management to do those things. Yeah. One thing, uh, you know, immediately after kind of we met, like Mark said, we, we did a couple of projects, kind of tested the waters to see how we kind of worked with each other. I, th- I think it's really important if you're going to be partnering with somebody to really like start small with smaller projects and see how it works out rather than jumping into big stuff. Cause then that can get a little more difficult finding out that maybe you don't really uh, have similar, uh, you don't get along really while you're doing it. So start with small. We, we started there, it worked out. And it's important to uh, what Mark mentioned is that making sure that perhaps you find partners that have opposite skill sets that you have, because you'll basically create a stronger team that way. 
rather than have two people that have similar skill sets where, well, you're going to be missing some things that are required in multifamily, which as you know, you need a lot of different tools to kind of get close on a deal and manage a property. So it was cool that we had, you know, I had my background of construction and engineering for so many years. And then he was doing the, he's got the finance background, which really uh, is an area that I kind of lack a little bit. So he picks up on that side. So that was uh, really cool that we had dissimilar tools that we were to get together, take care of some things. And then immediately after that, we then started finding out about multifamily. So we started going to meetups in New Jersey around 2019. And we really got into that space and starting to really get to know some of these syndicators. What is a, a syndication and SEC structure and all that stuff. So that was pretty cool. That was when we uh, formally became indoctrinated into the multifamily cult, the bubble. <laughs> <laughs> so as you're making that transition, so now you found multifamily and is this the area, is it safe to say this is the area where you're primarily focused on now is multifamily? Absolutely. So when you made that transition, decided to focus on multifamily and you two determined that you had opposite skill sets, you were complementary skill sets, and now you wanted to do some more deals together and figure out how to make this all work. What are some of the steps that you did as you were looking for your first deal and networking with other people? What are some of the things that you did to be able to get to your first deal, whether it be, I don't know if it was passive investing first or active investing first, how did that all come about for you? Perfect. I can take that one. So I guess look, thinking back of kind of when we started back 18, 19, uh, looking at it, we definitely attended a lot of these meetups where first education, getting to know, kind of know what all this stuff is. But I feel one of the missteps that we did, I guess, looking back is uh, not really doing more education and getting to know more of how the structure it, uh, happened because we kind of jumped into a, an LP position of a syndication, someone we met a little too premature and invested money with them really where it kind of fell through. So one of the prime things that everyone, you know, obviously knows is that you get to know your operator, get to know the person that you're investing money with, because those are the people really that that can float or sink a ship really is, uh, is the people who are running it. So a little too premature on that. And I always tell people to make sure you get to know, get to get to fill out the operator before even invested with them. So yeah, going back to your question, Definitely the networking, the educational part, starting on that foot first. And, and Mark, anything to add to that? Yeah, we also started in a more formal kind of mentorship program, which I think was invaluable because, yeah, you can get a lot done yourself. Uh, you can learn a ton from YouTube University. You can listen to podcasts like yours and pick up a lot. But it's a whole other story when it comes time to, you know, you're under due diligence and you've got a burning question and you don't know who to turn to. Um, so having that mentor or that network of other people that are, have been in your shoes and lean on is, is invaluable. It will just help you kind of shortcut the learning curve a little bit where you don't have to necessarily learn the hard way. You can learn from you know the lessons of, that others have learned. And one thing to add to that, because I think it's really important to mention is in the beginning, we spent probably a good two years of the education, the networking, meeting people. And we were able, I don't know how many times, like as we, you know, uh, were in the due diligence process and everything, how many times we had questions and me and Mark didn't know, right? Since we've spent all that time building these network of people that we build relationships with, we're able to reach out to them and they're able to answer questions for us. And I think that's like really important to have that network of support behind you when you have questions that, that you need answered that we don't know. Yeah, people say, I mean, it's a relationship business, but it's definitely the case uh, that we've learned. Um, that's not just like a, you know, a truism. That's really actually the, the case. Your relationships are your currency in this business. And uh, finding a really good partner can be 
you know, way more profitable than any single deal that you do. Would you be comfortable with sharing a little bit of the details of what happened with that syndication that ended up falling through? We don't have to get into too many specifics, but you know, maybe just give a little color to that. I'll let you start, Mark. But uh, you know, we are happy to share the story with anybody because it's uh, it's not something we're ashamed of at all. We like to use it as a teaching uh, moment for us and other people too. So, absolutely, yeah. I mean, our path has been anything but a straight line. So we've on every deal we've learned a ton. Um, and there have been ups and downs, um, but that's a credit to our uh, partnership being able to kind of bounce back from that stuff. In that particular case, I know Rod Cleef uses the term seminar. Our seminar, our not I won't call it a failure. Our seminar was that we didn't properly vet the sponsor. So I think it's it's as Gonzalo said, it's really important to vet exactly what is their track record, what is the business plan, um, look at their underwriting, uh, poke holes in their underwriting, um, you know, talk to prior investors of uh, sponsors you're thinking about investing with. Um, it's a really great way to start in this business is LPing. Uh, you're kind of learning while you earn, but it's also important for you to take it as it is. It's an investment. So just like you would vet any say mutual fund you're going to invest in or any other investment, you want to take your time to get to know what the risks are that are unique to that investment. Um, and that's what we failed to do. And that ended up um, costing us in, in this case. Um, but it was kind of our, our burning why or our, our big reason for getting into multifamily was the experience that we had with that operator where there just wasn't the, the transparency. We didn't feel like they uh, were holding up their end of the bargain. And we said to ourselves, okay, we don't want anybody else to ever go through this. And if we can help those around us invest safely in real estate, then, you know, this won't be a lost cause. We'll have learned from this. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So instead of scaring you off on the multifamily path, it actually fueled the fire for you to deep dive it into it some more. Why do you think that is? You mentioned it about a little bit to help other people so that they don't experience the same thing that you were able to, that you were experienced on that first deal. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, I can go into uh, some detail on that. Um, so this is a, a longer story, but uh, suffice it to say that myself and Gonzalo ended up taking over that asset as LPs, which is as far as I've heard uh, up until now, I've never heard of other LPs um, in their experiences taking over for a general partner who maybe didn't end up fulfilling their responsibility. So, I mean, in this case, I was running to the property, you know, multiple times a week, even slept there from time to time to get things done. So that's not a normal LP experience. Mm -hmm. And that experience leaves a definite mark on you, an impression on you. So we definitely, uh, again, like wanted to 
avoid if we could help one person avoid that experience going forward that that's you know time well spent and so the other part of it is we also gain confidence from that experience because we said okay if we can come in to an asset that we didn't do due diligence on ourselves we didn't have any kind of budget for and turn it around okay imagine what we can do with our own asset once we've done all these things and what's cool about that is that some of the other lps on that deal kind of saw us stepping in and really uh, making sure and kind of protecting that capital that we all these LPs have put into it instead of just everybody kind of stepping back and saying, oh, well, you know, it's going to get repossessed by the city because the mortgage hasn't been paid and all that. We stepped in, we stabilized it, finished the construction on the remaining units and, and rented it out. And we were able to really gain some confidence from the other LPs, which are now current investors of ours in other properties that we've purchased in our target market. So I think oh. it was pretty cool. Wow. No, that's incredible. Yeah. Like you said, it's not common for the LBs to mm. step up to do the GPU work because that's what the limited partner is supposed to be for. You know, they're supposed to be limited partners where their their roles and responsibilities are just limited. And so it's at least fantastic that you were able to turn what could have been a very bad situation into a positive one and to be able to learn from that and to protect not just your investment in there, but the other investors as well. Absolutely. Perhaps it's maybe some of that immigrant resolve that we talk about, some of that resilience that we saw maybe from parents growing up or whatever the case may be. Our experiences from the past definitely shape us. And so, you know, whereas many people might have taken that as, okay, I'm going to write this investment off. Um, we thought that it was our it was our responsibility to step up at that point. How did you transition now? So now we kind of understand you got that, you took over and you stepped up and really protected that asset, turned it turned around a bad situation into a positive one. And then from there, what did you guys do afterwards? Do you continue to invest as LPs or did you uh, transition over to the general partnership side and, and start looking and presenting your own deals? So after that experience really taught us a lot, we continued the education path. We wasn't, we weren't going to let that experience deter us. We're, we're big into like um, networking and also listening to other like motivational speakers in the space of real estate. So we got a lot of energy from those kind of people, like saying like, "Hey, this a failure is not a failure. You have to learn from them and stuff like that." So we kept them moving forward. We invested on LPs, like you mentioned. And got a, a little bit of sneak peek as, as far as how the right way to do things. Because uh, at that point, we were able to then really develop relationships with qualified operators, syndicators, and we were able to invest with them. And we were to see how things truly are supposed to be run. Uh, so I think I'm on GP on 240 unit or LP on 240 units. And by that experience, I'm able to gain further knowledge and education and then after that, uh, you want to go into the next one, kind of like after we're doing that. Yeah. So after we kind of developed in a few deals, we had developed relationships with other experienced GPs, like Gonzalo said, and they were kind enough and gracious enough to bring us along on a couple of their deals to kind of help fill some different roles, whether it be capital raising, investor relations, or whatever the case may be. So we did a couple of those. And again, like at every step of the way, it was we're getting incrementally closer to where we wanted to get. And so we got those experiences and then we started making offers on our own. So we were looking at the time in Nashville, Tennessee, and then we were striking out. We were making a ton of offers and not really getting any traction. And we spoke to a mentor, a mentor of ours at the time and said, you know, we're not sure. We're, we kind of feel like we're banging our head against the wall here. Do you have any suggestions? And so he said, you know, you should probably look to expand your target markets. So not just maybe Nashville, but maybe look at cities nearby there that may be benefiting from a lot of the same uh, economic fundamentals and economic drivers. 
Um, and so we looked within kind of a two hour radius of, of that market and settled on Louisville. And it just so happened that he was going to be disposing of a few properties in his portfolio in the Louisville, Kentucky market. And so we made an offer on one of them. And he, again, was gracious enough to accept our offer. And that's now that became our first GP that we did as, as the lead sponsors last year. That was a 32 unit uh, townhome community. And ever since then, just kind of off to the races. I'd love to ask also, when you decided to invest in your second deal as a limited partner, what was maybe one to two, maybe one to three questions that you had to think to yourself, I have to ask the sponsor this question and it has to meet my criteria before I move forward with them? Yeah. So at that point, I probably would feel pretty confident as investing in LP with that sponsor. So I would have made sure that that sponsor has, you know, social presence, is active. I trust the guy, right? And then you're in the investor deck presentation, right? So you're going through the the deal and you're kind of like looking over the numbers. For me personally, I like to send the the sponsors questions kind of on the side because at that point I was a little more advanced as far as like questions related to like rental comps, where are they pulling from? Does it match the rental comps that they're showing in their investor deck? They incorporate any refinance in the returns. So these are kind of like some questions I like to know related to a deal to see kind of how the returns are are shown on the investor deck. How do they come up with those returns? It's how I like to dig in on a couple of things. I think now, though, um, to your question, uh, I think we definitely, when we're looking at LPs, we're vetting the sponsor first, more so than the deal. You know, a good sponsor, the old saying of a good sponsor can take, you know, a good deal and make it bad. And the opposite is definitely true as well. So I think learning about their track record is really important. I mean, there's no indication of the future like the past. So I would say try to figure out what deals they've done before. Have they gone full cycle on those deals? Can you get proof of that? You know, maybe talk to a few investors on some of their deals that have gone full cycle. What have their experiences been like? I also would generally going forward would ask them for a kind of a budget versus actuals. So how did they think about the deal going into it? And then how did it actually perform? We've been fortunate in the last five years or so to be in kind of a almost unabated upswing in terms of real estate. But I always think that you learn a ton, at least I do, um, how an underwrite or how a sponsor underwrites a deal. Yeah. And I wish we kind of knew all these things we would ask the original people that we invested in back in, you know, 2019, 18. Uh, but... Yeah, well, we get the bumps and bruises all along the way. And they, exactly. Experience is a tough, tough uh, teacher. Yes. And thank you. That's why I really appreciate you, both of you coming on and sharing your experiences so that our listeners may listen to this and hopefully avoid some costly mistakes as well down the road if they can take one nugget away. You know, that's it's fantastic. And thank you so much for sharing all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so, anybody has any questions or anything like that about vetting sponsors? We definitely have been through the ringer on that one. <laughs> Yeah. What is the most exciting thing that you are looking forward to in the upcoming future? Ooh, great question. So for me, I recently transitioned to doing this full time as of uh, what November, uh, December of last year. So I'm really enjoying my time, kind of focusing on this. Because prior to this, as I mentioned, I was you know a, a partner in a, in a consultant engineering firm in Northeast. Very little time to kind of focus on this and, and really drive this forward for us. Uh, so now that I'm kind of like doing this full time, it really allows me the opportunity to really do, I feel, you know, do a great job of, of looking at deals, developing more broker relationships, 
every day versus just giving them a call every couple of weeks, you know, uh, when I was working. So it's giving me the opportunity to really, I believe, uh, uh, make this a, a career that um, for, for, the, for the future, really. So. Yeah. And then on my side, I would say um, the biggest thing I'm looking forward to is us doing a, a larger deal. I would say 50 plus unit deal. Large, I guess, is relative, but for us, that means 50 plus units. And we're talking to a number of other operators now that we could potentially partner with. I think we're both fans of the partnership route because it's kind of like the sum of the parts. You know, we all have these different diverse skill sets. If we can bring them together, we'll be greater than the sum of our individual skills. And so we've spent a lot of time, as Gonzalo mentioned a few times earlier, um, really just networking with people who are high quality and have done it before. And so we can kind of uh, bring our own skills and things to them to provide value. So yeah, that's kind of is, is doing more of this on a bigger scale. And how has real estate investing impacted your lives? Yeah, sure thing. I, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, so on, on my end, I mean, I think um, I wouldn't have met Gonzalo if it weren't for this. And, you know, now we talk probably more so than I would say anybody else in my, in my <laughs> life. And, um, you know, I, I spend a lot of my time uh, doing this because I really do enjoy it. What started off as kind of something that I thought would just become a retirement vehicle has become a full-blown passion for me. And so I spend my mornings, my after work time, and then my weekends uh, whenever I can looking at deals, talking to Gonzalo about deals, talking to investors. Um, it's really just become a part of my fabric and kind of who I am is real estate. Now, my friends, when they talk to me, they kind of joke and, you know, call me, uh, you know, funny real estate names and stuff like that because they associate me with that guy who always wants to talk about real estate. So. Like Bruce Peterson, the apartment guy, right? Everybody yeah, knows exactly. him as the apartment guy. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's cool. I I look forward to you know continuing this uh, this path forward. And and um, uh, like Mark said, I I I just enjoy the the people that are kind of in this space because it was so different from my past uh, job where it seemed like everybody was kind of competing against each other. They get that next client, and it was a competition from one engineering firm versus another engineering firm who can put the lowest scope price together in order to win that client. In this space, it seems like everybody wants to work together in order to take a big deal down, which is where teamwork comes into play a lot more than it was in, in you know in the consultant engineering kind of like doggy doggy world uh, scenario there. So here I enjoy the camaraderie with um, individuals like yourself that uh, hey, maybe we'll partner in the future. Who knows? And uh, it's just a great uh, group of people, you know. Yeah, no, definitely. You never know, especially you meet somebody, you think it might just be in passing, but you never know down the road if it might come full circle, you might do some deals together. Um, you might reach out, there might be somebody that we can connect each other with, and then you do deals with them. The space is so small, there's everybody's willing to help each other. And so together as a team, as a group, everybody's able to accomplish so much more, get further, faster together. Yeah. And I really enjoy going to uh, conferences, also like real estate conferences. Uh, the last one, the last one that I just attended was the Intelligent Investor one in uh, in California, and that's where I went I to met. that one too. Yeah, we didn't I, meet, I was, we didn't see each other. <laughs> I was going to ask you. I'm sure you were there. Yeah, we probably didn't run into each other, but that's where I met Rick uh, Rick Martin, and it was like the last hour of the last day. I kind of like <laughs> backed into him, and he was behind me, and then we started talking. <laughs> And funny enough, we're joint venturing on a deal that we're actually meeting next wow. week and closing on in Louisville. So wow. it's funny how it works out that way sometimes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, Mark, if you want to go first, what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? 
I would say it's kind of, I hate to repeat and sound like a broken record, but it's vetting the sponsors, vetting the individuals that you're partnering with. And, you know, that, that can make or break any investment. I think for me, um, if I knew kind of what I knew now, I would have probably put less money in my 401k and IRA and all that stuff and maybe have diversified more uh, into real estate, especially like after the crash of 2008, where, uh, you know, everything from that point on was just skyrocket up to where we are now. So I wish I really diversified more into into that asset class rather than just putting everything in the stock market and just education and more entrepreneurship uh, education uh, at that point, because in that time of my life, I was really focused on corporate life, climbing the ladder, becoming CEO, whatever, right? And, and it, there's more to that than, than, than there is, right? It's not just work, work, work. It's more trying to free yourself of that nine to five every single day in the office. So, uh, but things have, everything happens for a reason. And I, you know, I wouldn't change anything now looking back, but. So what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? I think for me, it's the people that you're surrounding yourself with. I I um, think that the, any success that we've accomplished, any modest success that we've accomplished up until now has been largely attributed to the the peers that we surround ourselves with, the advisors that we, or coaches, and that we call mentors, and uh, any partners that we've had along the way. Um, it's really learning from others and seeking to provide value to others uh, before you ever ask for it. So I would just say relationships, generally speaking. Yeah, everybody's heard the expression, your net uh, worth is your network. And that's very, very true. Uh, so um, I wish in the beginning, I kind of knew about that and surrounded myself more with people in the same mindset, because I probably would be a multimillionaire by now, right? <laughs> uh, it's, but uh, th that that wasn't the case back then. I didn't really think it, it impacts you as much. But looking at how powerful that is, it's so true. So true. Well, Mark and Gonzalo, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experiences. I mean, the lessons that you've learned from being an LP, taking on over as a GP, going over from a LP into doing your own deals, finding partnerships, creating those bonds. It's really impressive. And I'm super glad that you guys came on and were able to share that story and those lessons with us. And so I really appreciate the two of you. And so for our listeners also who are out there listening and they're interested to learn more about your story, your background, what you are doing, things that you might be coming up on for the future, where's the best place that they can go? Yeah, you can uh, reach out to us directly. Uh, my email is mark, M-A-R-C, at investwithmaple.com. My phone number, I'll give out my phone number. I know it's a, sometimes a taboo, but I'll do it. It's 908-319-4351. Or you can find us online at www.investwithmaple.com. And Gazelle, if you want to give out your way. Yeah, my email, I, I love being going on calls with people and sharing stories and just talking real estate in general. But my email is Gonzalo, G-O-N-Z-A-L-O at investwithmaple.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, you two. I really appreciate it again. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank you for having us on, of course. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, 
Check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.